we're live again on here on the John Riley Project, back with Pete Neal. How you doing, Pete? I'm doing well. Okay. It's just like we were just doing this a few moments ago. Jesus, just like <laughs> an hour ago. <laughs> I know. And it looks like we're like uh, Zooming from two different locations, but we're actually only about two feet apart. So, um, all right. So, Pete, you're here to share with us your pursuit of happiness. Yes. And I, I just think this is fantastic. So, you know, I, I, my website, johnreillyproject.com, it says pursue happiness at the top. You shared with me that you really wanted to go into some, some of your sea stories, as it were, yep. um, as, a, as a man in the Navy. And um, you hinted some of this when we were getting ready out in the parking lot. So looking forward to this. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, this is obviously I'm a veteran. Uh, I served in the Navy for nine years back in the uh, early 70s, uh, 69 actually through uh, 78. Um, and I have a very good friend of mine, Charlie McVeigh. Mm-hmm. And um, he said something to me uh, many years ago when we're talking about people who were in the service uh, riding submarines his his question is where do we find these guys <laughs> okay how do we find these people that give up so much uh, for this job and it really rang true to me and when I got exposed to John Riley Project podcast, <laughs> Search of Happiness. Um, that brought up another point that's related to the whole thing. Because uh, joining the Navy was a two-goal thing for me. Okay? And it allowed me to escape my parents and get out on my own at the earliest opportunity. That made me happy. <laughs> right, right, <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> in the interim, okay, that motion that I put in place made me one of those guys. Where do, Charlie's eternal question, where do we find these guys? I was one of them. Okay. So I've been looking at that with a very, very selfish, self-centered point of view all my life, as I should. It's my life. Right. All right. Um, about a year or so ago, I was on Facebook, and a friend of mine introduced me to a Facebook group that I joined. And this is a private group. This is not open to everybody. You have to be recommended and then you're voted upon as to whether you are allowed into the group. So, um, Pete, talking to the mic. I got in. I got into the group. And then you've already heard the story on uh, Eureka Moments mm-hmm. where I got into riding submarines. Right. Because there's a group and then there's an inner group. Okay. And it was my transition from the overall group to the inner group. I'm slowly getting specialized into a particular area. 
And one of those areas is a geographic location. It's Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Okay. All right. So as part of a lure to Charlie McVeigh to say, this is a place where you can come and talk about who are those guys? Where do we find these guys? This would be a great place to have that topic discussed. Right. So at some point in time, we'll get his schedule and your schedule aligned. And I'll introduce you to Charlie McVean. Well, he would have some amazing stories. He's got he's got a perspective that just can't be beat. Right. All right. And uh, I think it's very important that he makes that question of where do we find these guys? Who are these guys? More widely known. Well, are you are you speaking now just of of uh, um, of people that are on submarines or the specialty within that? Charlie's going to stop at submarines, okay, because of the classified nature. Okay, I'm here to tell you it goes deeper. Of course, yeah. My story goes deeper. Okay, and I'm. This is a little bit of a tightrope walk because if I talk too much, I could be in love with. Uh oh. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna, we're going to try staying out. Okay. I want to keep this into perspective. Um, and this is a sea story. There's going to be a lot of my talking. All right, but I wanted to paint a picture for the podcast for 374 guys. 374 guys in the group, and I took on a task about a month ago now. Um. Everybody's always letting everybody in the group know every time they make an entry in the in the group's page. It's it's only almost at the exact same time. They'll put the times that they were there. What years? I said, this is repetitious. It's nothing else. It's a waste of time. I think we can put this graphically. So I started putting it into a spreadsheet, taking the people's names, putting it down. So. Let me back up a little bit and tell you about the group. The group is about a shop, a particular shop in Pearl Harbor with a very dedicated job. It serviced surface ships, submarines, aircraft. Um, three total different platforms. But as it refines. I mean, you can't put the same equipment on an aircraft that you put on a submarine. Your submarine can't go on an aircraft, surface ship. It's all, I mean, it, it becomes very specialized. But where did this all start? Well, you, I think everybody's heard about the indication. This, this field, this, this job code, this occupation didn't exist in World War II. It was... Uh, Contributing individuals found out about the Japanese bombing Pearl Harbor ahead of time. Okay, we knew the Japanese were coming, but we couldn't do anything about it. They were en route. All right. Midway, several years later, in the thick of World War II, was a little bit different. Similar guys, but they were able to intervene to the point where 
Midway came in our favor rather than Japanese favor. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there were rumors at that stage of the game at the Battle of Midway that, gee, this is an important function. We ought to get organized (laughs) and, and do this, not on a wing and a prayer, but actually have. So they started forming that group. Officially, it started in 1951. I was one. Okay. Okay. But the group started in 1951. And the reason it got started and got fleshed out is because of very, very important people that fed into the concept, this has got to work. This can work. This can help us all. All right. So one of those guys was Bernard Clary, Admiral Bernard Clary. In World War II, Bernard Clary was not an admiral. He was a newly appointed submarine commander. He was on board the first Pentado. So he saw the value of what this job code could do for him, make his job better. Mm-hmm. All right. So he was all for that. He and, a, and several other of his peer group sold the concept and it became a reality in 1951. Now, I was one year old when it formed. All right. Clary was still working his way through the chain of command in the submarine service in that time frame. He made it out of World War II. He survived World War II, but he was working his way. He was no longer just a submarine commander. He was now in charge of flotillas or groups or yada, yada, yada. So, that continued to grow. I, in the meantime, I went to um, St. Dunstan's Boys School and Lincoln Junior High and uh, Samuel Slater Junior High first before that. I was going through my youth as the first naturalized citizen of the United States. My father came from England. My mother came from Canada. I was the first person in my family born in the United States, and I was going to all these schools, and I was having a good time. I met a lot of people, moved in two different houses, three different houses. So I was having a very successful life. I was a happy kid. I was searching happiness, and it was mine. What got me down, though, was my dad got where he was because he constantly worked at his education and he thought that's was the key. So he was, had me on a straight road towards Brown university. Mm. Okay. He was having me go down his path. That ain't my path. Right. I hated school. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Had a lot of time, good time with my friends, but I hated school. So, I looked for an escape. The U.S. Navy gave me an escape. I landed in Pearl Harbor through the previous podcast I've told you about. Uh, At the same time, Bernard Clary took over as Commander-in-Chief Pacific Fleet. Hmm. His wife christened a new submarine, a new nuclear-powered submarine called the USS Pintado. His submarine 
had now been replaced. His old World War II diesel boat submarine, fleet boat, had now been replaced by a nuclear submarine. His wife christened it. Hmm. He took a vested interest in the Pintado. Right. <laughs> okay. He also had a vested interest in the jobs we were doing. Okay. He signed every one of my orders in and out of Pearl Harbor. Not everybody that got orders signed by the Commander Chief Pacific Fleet. That signature was worth its weight in gold. Yeah, no doubt. I could do anything. I said, you know, if I got confronted with a problem, I would go to the guy and say, well, my boss is really going to be concerned that I'm not getting this done. You see, my boss will be. You see, Commander Chief Pacific <laughs> Fleet on the bottom of the orders. All of a sudden, it happens. That's right. <laughs> you know, so it was really cool. So there are these types of things that fermented into the shop in Pearl Harbor. I would love to know what happened to that group from 1951 to 1969. 1970 is when I actually got there. So I start reaching out of this Facebook group. Lo and behold, <laughs> I want to show this to camera, but it's it's small enough. There's a list of the people in the Facebook group. Here's 1951 is over here. 2022 is over here. That's 72 year span. All right, that's my lifespan. Right yeah, there. that's right okay. there. This is smack dab in the middle of it. All of these people worked in Pearl Harbor right smack dab in the middle of my lifetime. Oh, wow. All right. But I'm in the top. <laughs> right. I'm the first one. There ain't nobody alive. All right. They can tell me the stories about the shop. I know there was, the shop existed. When I reported into the shop, it was not empty. There were people there working. Mm -hmm. They were all my friends. My sea daddy, Ed Gushin, was there. Okay. He taught me the ropes. All right. So I have these. In the Navy, we called them sea stories. S-E-A stories. Mm -hmm. Stories about going to sea as a sailor. Well, I'm changing that. I'm writing down my sea stories, things that I've seen in my pursuit of happiness. And it's not just me. My entire life is filled with guys pursuing their careers at different times. Right. All right. So that's what this podcast is about, is sea stories how we got here. And I wanted to come on your podcast and tell you that there's a whole nother life that I never realized existed. I got a touch of it when I was doing the, the Eureka. I, I don't remember it was the Eureka moments or when I told you about the last jar of peanut butter. I remember those stories. Remember the story? Yeah. Last jar of peanut butter. These guys were all going to sea, off the face of the earth entirely, away from their families, all making a sacrifice for the mission. 
And yet all we talk about now on Facebook are good old sea stories. Hmm. We can interrupt any one of these guys right now and they'll have a great story to tell about somebody else on this list. Right. I mean, you've all shared a common experience. And it was all due to the sacrifice we made. And there's not a sad story in the group. Everything I've heard so far in over a year of listening to people talk about things. Now, there are those that have passed away. I can't talk to them. Not there yet. (laughs) All right. But I've talked to the people they left behind. And those stories are great stories to hear. All right. So those are part of the stories that I talk about. And I just wanted to lay it flat because this is going to be, be a little abrupt. People make sacrifice in their search for happiness. Mm-hmm. The two work together. All right. Do they think it's a sacrifice? Hell no. They're having a hell of a good time. They're walking around with Admiral Clary's orders. Now, true, it's somebody else different. And that's the sad part of this evolution. You'll notice that on this chart, there's a double green line down here. The shop changed functions at this green line. There was a merge of the subgroups, not submarine groups, but the remember I said the surface ship? Mm-hmm. They all got together into one location. Ah. That's what took place there. Okay. All right. Rather than calling it this name, they call I can't even call it by name because it's classified. Okay. <laughs> well, don't go there. Yeah. <laughs> but we put these two groups together and they started functioning together. So the bulk of the manpower in this Facebook group, okay, that are still around, okay, was in this period. And you'll notice they they start coming back. Yeah, they do. Yeah. That's not just one tour of duty. <laughs> they start coming back. Then, can't talk about the, the thing that made a total evolution. Not only did they find out that this job was important, all right, but now the electronics have gotten to the stage that everything could do is. Right. We didn't have to have a special group of people for this particular mission. This could be done by any vessel at any time by any group. So then we were no longer riders. We were no longer special guys. We're ship's company serving a dedicated function on that job. So that's a little bit different. You'll notice that the line almost goes vertical at this stage of the game. It's a little bit different shape. Mm-hmm. All right. And that's because there is no shop anymore because they're now stationed on individual ships right? performing an individual function. Right. Okay. Because they need to specialize on yeah. what that ship can do. Right. Rather than being generalists. It's not just the ship can do it, but it's the opportunities of the ships. All right. Let me bring you current. Soviets are using ships against um, Ukraine? Mm-hmm. Sorry, the name just slipped out. <laughs> That's <of me>. okay. <laughs> I was actually searching for Odessa. 
in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. All right. That's a major seaport. All right. And the Soviets are trying to get the citizens of the Ukraine, particularly in Odessa, to do certain things. So the people in Odessa, there were some merchant marines that said, fuck you. That was their response. All of a sudden, they have an overwhelming force coming in, telling them what to do. They're under attack. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. That's <laughs> <laughs> a sacrifice. Right. All right. By the way, Soviets lost that ship hmm. today. Oh, they did? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. But this is the type of people that you have in the military service, are people that are willing to make the sacrifice. Guys are taking their wives and kids to the border. Go get safe. Mm-hmm. I'm going back to fight. Mm-hmm. That's self-sacrifice. Consummate. I had to professional. Was I in danger of getting hurt? No. Accidents, yeah. But intentional combat type situations, no. That was not the sacrifice. The sacrifice was the separation from family. Right. The point where if I'd continued on, I would never have had a wife and family and kids. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like a a matter of competing values, isn't it? Yeah. You know, where you feel an obligation to serve in the military, you know, f- you know, your and, and the duty that is accompanies that. But at the same time, yeah, you have a, a duty to your family. Yep. And then sometimes in cases of like what's happening in Ukraine, there's a sense of urgency right, with defending the nation. Yep. So then they have to sacrifice at this moment in time, a lesser value for I to focus on the higher value. Yep. And um, yeah, I mean that's uh, that's something that happens all the time. Yeah, and I understand you. So when I talked to you the other day, when I mentioned, I said I want to come and talk to you about happiness, the search for happiness. My search for happiness had a sacrifice to it. Okay. Mm-hmm. He said, well, that's kind of contrary. It's not really contrary. Yeah, this is a good topic to explore, but go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So, Charlie comes up. Where do we find these guys? Let's find out what type of an individual is willing to make a sacrifice in their search of happiness. Mm-hmm. That's that's the way I think we would like to get the conversation going mm-hmm. to satisfy the goals of John Riley project <laughs> search for happiness that sometimes it takes a sacrifice to do it. All right. Now in my own personal situation, I told you I was happy as a clam. I was having a ball. I did Pearl Harbor. I saw the Pacific. I got stationed in New London, Connecticut. I saw the Atlantic, the Mediterranean. I saw both halves of the world. I was having a ball. Right. Wife and kids, sorry, that ain't happening. Mm -hmm. You're at sea all the time. Right. All right. 
And I jokingly say, I don't know if she ever really said it or not, but Wendy said, you can be married to your submarines or you can be married to me, but not both. Yeah. You heard me say that. Yeah. All right. Like I said, I don't know if it's the truth or not, but I always say it because it's cute. Right. But I made that decision. All right. In when I was finishing up my tour of duty in New London, this was my second tour. I'd been to Pearl Harbor. I was in this in this time frame. Mm -hmm. Okay. Where I go next? Back to Pearl. I've done Pearl. I've been everywhere that Pearl can send me. Right. My happiness was going down. Right. Okay. Okay, after Pearl, where do I go? Back to New London. I've done New London. So even though I had nine years in, I was mm-hmm. one year away from the halfway mark of a career in the Navy. It suddenly dawned on me. I said, no, I'm not having a good time anymore because I'm going to be doing what I've done before. Right. Mm-hmm. I want a new adventure. All right. Which is why when Wendy, you can be married to your siblings, <laughs> or you can be married to me. Right. It was not too late. I could I could get out and I could start my family. Late. In my viewpoint, it was late. Actually, it worked out pretty good. I was 25. Yeah. Well, maybe back then it was late, but nowadays that's that's not late. <laughs> yeah. So did you you didn't get married until you completed your career in the military, correct? One step further. One step further. Um, all three of my kids attended my wedding. Oh, that's right. <laughs> You've told me this story before, too. OK. Yep. yep. Um, my dad was an Episcopalian minister. As a child, I was an altar boy. I performed a lot of weddings with him, mm-hmm. a lot of funerals, too, a lot of baptisms. I was the altar boy. Um, so when it came time to thinking about my own wedding, well, I'm going to have my dad marry us. There were difficulties in our relationship at that time because I told him essentially, go to hell. I'm not going to Brown University. Right. All right. I'd gone off and joined the Navy. Uh, so, yeah, we weren't on the best of terms, but when he finally came around, <laughs> my mom telling him, you know, you really ought to pay attention to your son because you're not getting any younger and you may be gone before, you, you know, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, yeah. There's grandkids involved. <laughs> so he finally said, okay. And I went and got permission from um, the Episcopal Church up the road here. What's the name of it? St. Bartholomew? St. Bart's. Yeah. Got the permission from the clergyman at St. Bart's. He said, yes, your your father can perform the wedding ceremony here in Poway. And we got married in my dining room. That's awesome. <laughs> and all three kids were there. Yeah. Yeah. How many people can say that? You know, um, well, good for you. Um, and you ended up circling back with your father, making peace. Oh, yeah. And then he performed the ceremony. And it's like a storybook ending or a storybook beginning to a marriage. It worked out really, really well. But going back to the other topic, um, I'm assuming that you didn't have any children until you were you had completed your career. Correct. Because, I mean, were there people on the submarines that had a wife and kids back home? Oh, yeah. Now, that would be really 
really hard and really I mean, it's like what Wendy said. You could pick me or the or the submarine. Right. I don't know how those guys did that and still had a healthy marriage. This is why Charlie's going to come into the discussion. Because here's the, here's the kind of stuff that happens. Okay. I'll I'll start off with a funny story first. <laughs> okay. All right. There are things called family grams, message traffic that comes across the regular broadcast. Every ship in the fleet can see them. Mm. But they're coming to a sailor, a location on a ship on an irregular basis for a submarine because you're not surfaced all the time. You don't have an antenna. Right. You have to be appropriate at time. So I'm going to tell you the funny story, but understand that there are other messages that come across that are not so funny as this one. All right. We've been at sea for... Oh, probably two, maybe three months. Okay. Yeah, we're coming up on the hard time. We start running out of food. Um, And the family gram came across to the wives of the wardroom, meaning from, excuse me, to the wardroom, from the wives of the wardroom. Okay. Now we're talking on the average... Wardroom on a submarine is going to be like 10 guys, 12 guys. What's a wardroom? The officer's quarters. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Not enlisted guys. These are the officers. Okay. CO, XO, navigator, weapons boss, sonar, you know, they're all different job codes. But there's about 10 of them on board. <laughs> and so this message, from the wives of the wardroom to the men of the wardroom, USS Never fish or whatever. Okay. You know, I'm not going to tell you the name of the boat. That was the address. Underneath says, one of us is pregnant. <laughs> right. All right. The radio man gets this message. He laughs, right? First person he goes to is the CEO. CEO has to make the decision. Do I share this message with the crewman? Is this message okay to share with the person that it's actually addressed to. It happens. If it was bad news, maybe I don't want to tell them. Oh, okay. Okay. That answers your question directly. But the captain saw the humor in it. Right. So he said, fine. Went to the wardroom, laid it on the table. Gentlemen, I have this message. All the married guys are going, God, I wonder if it's me. <laughs> All right. the signal guys were going, oh, God, I wonder if it's me. <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah. here you have 12 guys enclosed in an environment with a bombshell message. Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, it could be very disruptive. Well, yeah. It was one of the greatest messages I ever saw come across. I said, I, that's. But the, but the wives actually got together and then decided how to launch this this yeah. bomb on them. Well, I, I told you about the one we got on our boat. It said to us, you know, uh, I was coming up on Easter. And we'd been at sea for Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. And that's the message we got at Christmas time. It says, Happy Easter. Might as fucking well be. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've been at sea for Thanksgiving, Christmas, right. and New Year's. You know? Right. Yeah. So... Yeah, message traffic on board. There's no cell phones. 
You're submerged. Yeah, no, you can't text message someone. No, especially back then, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there are all kinds of little itty bitty stories that Charlie is in a far better position to tell. I, I think we got to get him in here to tell his perspective. Who subjects themselves to that type of a life? It's a big thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I understand people saying, thank you for your service. That's trite to me. Yeah, that that always kind of rang hollow to me when I heard people say it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ever said it to anybody. But what I do let them know is I appreciate you for who you are. In the city of Poway, there are things that need to be done by private citizens sometime. Just go that extra yard. Make a personal sacrifice for the betterment of the community. Not going to hurt you. Matter of fact, you'll probably have a hell of a good time doing it. Search for happiness with a sacrifice. I wrapped it around a little bit. To the bottom. Yeah, but I think this this is where it, it depends on your point of view, right? Because mm-hmm. I can understand the perspective of making a sacrifice so that you can do something else. But if you're pursuing, if the other thing that you're pursuing is of higher value to you, then you're just making a choice of and pursuing the value that is most important to you. Who does? Who gets to do the separation of that concept? The person making the choice. Person making the choice. Yeah. All right. So when John Riley is talking about the search for power, for happiness, pursuit of happiness, pursuit of happiness, mm-hmm. I'm with you 100. percent Right. Right. And I've always looked at it from a selfish point of view. I've always. I bought Calypso. <laughs> yeah, well, that is a perfect for, example for me. Yes, there's nobody else that gets the enjoyment out of Calypso other than me. Maybe another Corvette fan. All right, what was the sacrifice? Yeah, the, my, my whole life. I worked my whole life right to get to the point where I could afford to buy Calypso right without it being a burden on anybody else. Mm-hmm. Okay. So mm-hmm. I think with every every when you when you get down to the bottom line and you analyze the pathway for the pursuit of happiness, there is a sacrifice in there. Yeah. Again, I would say it differently, but I think we're saying the same thing. Okay. I would say that you have to make a choice to pursue the higher value. But it, 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 and, then that, and that means that you won't have the energy or the resources to put to the secondary or tertiary values. Good thing to discuss. Yeah. Good thing to discuss. Because if you, to me, like when you sacrifice, you're losing so someone else can win. But, uh, That's to me what a sacrifice is. But, sac- but if, but if, if you're... Sacrifice is for yourself. Well... If you are if you are sacrificing your specific needs to pursue something like, for example, if you have a career doing 
whatever you do. Okay. You have a, a career, but you aspire to have a career that is of a different level or in a different category or in a different segment of the economy. In order to pursue that, yeah, you may have to sacrifice some of your existing career in some form or fashion. Yeah. Um, but you could also say you're making the choice to reach for a higher ideal. Does that happiness? Let me ask you this question. Does that happiness become more valuable? Yeah. Because you paid a price. You made a sacrifice with a cost. Does therefore the happiness have that cost associated with it? Well, I think it, first of all, I think the happiness is sweeter for sure. Yeah. Um, Calypso is for sure. Yeah. And, and, and I think on one level you can say I sacrificed in order to achieve this higher value. But another way to say it is, is that I worked my butt off to earn enough money and save enough money Mm-hmm. So that I could, in your case, buy Calypso. Right. right. And that's something that it's almost something to take pride in. Right. Okay. And the, and the, and the work and the effort that you put forward to, um, to build the resources to buy Calypso was consistent with your higher value of Calypso. Yeah. So I, anyways, I, it's tricky though, because when we talk about military service, Sacrifice is a very um, special word, maybe a little bit different than in the private sector. Right. And I don't want to be disrespectful to that. Okay. Um, I, I, I'll give you that. I, I, I'm in agreement with that. Yeah. So, but I think the, the point, I think we're both, I think we're both saying the same thing, but just slightly different. And that is in order to pursue happiness, you have to make difficult decisions. Yeah. Sometimes you have to make difficult decisions to achieve the happiness. That's exactly right. All right. I'll I'll, I'll buy that. Yes. Um, Ed Squishy Gushin is my (laughs) sea daddy. How did he get his nickname? Uh, It's a related story to this one. Okay. All right. Um, I'll tell you the whole story. There's two parts to this. There's the part where I discovered that his name is, he had a name Squishy. All right. But there's the other part that he taught me, his final lesson to me. Okay. So I'll tell you that one last. Okay. All right. But yeah, I'll just tell the two stories. So there's this Yakuska, Japan. And it's in the history books. There's an intersection of two streets. By American sailors, it's called the intersection of Hunky and Dory. <laughs> okay. It comes out of World War II. Actually, it goes back prior to World War II. Okay. The term Hunky Dory? Hunky Dory. That was a David Bowie song, if I remember. But, well, yeah. It's yeah. A David Bowie song. Hunky Dory is everything's great. Yeah. Everything's right. Exactly. Everything's hunky dory. Well, the expression comes from the intersection of these two streets that Americans who could not translate the Japanese characters well enough, it looked like it said hunky dory, but that's very far removed from the actual names of the streets. Okay. All right. But the name stuck. 
So why did this intersection stick? All right. Well, that's the house where all, that, that's the part of town outside the Navy base where all the bars and the houses of ill repute were. Uh-huh. So from a sailor's perspective, okay, everything's hunky-dory. <laughs> all right? Yeah. I got girls. I got booze. I'm a happy camper. Right. Sailors are a happy camper. True story. So Ed and I were having to wait for something on one of the boats. He was coming over to help me with one of my installations. He's my sea daddy. So he came over with the parts to fix the problem on the boat so I, I would be okay. But we had to wait, and so we went out on the beach, and we went into the bar, and the girls sit down on your lap, and they're trying to talk you into some time, but we didn't. We had to go back. We didn't have the time for that. Right. And they want you to buy them drinks. But Ed had a little bit of weight to him in those days. Mm-hmm. The girls got the biggest kick out of his. They kept poking him, and they started calling him squishy. Ah. So from that moment on, Ed became known as Ed's Squishy Gushin. <laughs> now, how did he get squishy in the first place? Ed was a connoisseur. He loved good food. Mm. So we were going, he was leaving. Okay. And this is where I learned my lesson is he wanted me to go with him to this couple of restaurants downtown Tokyo before we went out to the airport. He was going to take me there. So we went to this place and it, it was three floors down below street level. Right. Now we had a couple of guys off the boat with me. There was like four of us. Right. And it was, what's the place where they cook the food right in front of you? Teppanyaki. Down here in the valley, there's the oh the Benny Benihana. Benihana. Yeah, it was that style of a restaurant. Yeah, that's teppanyaki. Okay, right. I think it was that style of a restaurant. I'd mm-hmm. never seen anything like it. I hadn't been to San Diego. I knew nothing. Yeah, about it. that's really cool. Totally new to me. All right, but Ed was in second heaven. All right, the connection was now made between Squishy and I mean everything got connected right there when we're at this restaurant. So he'd ordered soup, and I was still looking on the menu trying to figure out what the hell I'm going to eat, you know. But he'd ordered soup. He says, "You ought to try this soup. It's really great." He's got this stupid little spoon, this the ceramic spoon yeah. that doesn't get the bottom. He's, you know, eating the soup, and all of a sudden the chandelier started moving. Things started shaking. It was an earthquake. We're three floors down. Oh. All right. The whole restaurant empties to the stairway. Yeah. Everybody's making a beeline up the stairs, right? I think I made it up two flights of stairs, three flights of stairs, and all of a sudden it came to a stop. Everything's still. All right. Okay. Earthquake's over. No damage, no harm. We all turned, everybody turned around the stairwell, and everybody starts going back where they came from. It's mm-hmm. over, right? We walk back into the restaurant. The restaurant's empty, except for Ed. He's sitting there at the table. The suit bowl's now tilted up. Right. He's still eating. You know, Ed, we just had an earthquake. 
he's never looked up from the bowl. He's just in between sips. He said, you want to die running up a stairway or reading some really good soup? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want to put your time where you get the return on investment. Mm-hmm. It makes you happy. Right. So Ed Squishy Gushin would give up his life for a bowl of Japanese soup. He was really into food. Mm. Uh, do you, do you um, enjoy Japanese soup still? I love it. Nah. Um, I will eat, yeah, soup. Yeah. Like yeah. A, if you ever get like the chicken noodle soup, they call it oyako udon. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of my favorites. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like Campbell's at all. No, no. <laughs> not even close. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of great Japanese restaurants we'll go down to uh, in the convoy area. And um, yeah, I'm a big fan. So family grants. Family gram. Interesting things. I've got to tell you this one, too. I have a friend of mine in now in Texas by the name of Joe Haynes, and he was deployed. But before he deployed on his submarine, he'd gone out and bought a brand new Goldwing motorcycle. Oh. Like three months before he was going to sea. Right. So he left it for, with his roommate. Well, he went to see, he says, you take care of my motorcycles. You know, keep it dusted, keep it clean, keep it ready. So we sent Joe Haynes a family gram. Bike's fine. Parts will arrive next week. <laughs> <laughs> and we sent it to him. Perfect. The captain did not deliver the message to Joe Haynes. Right. Because <laughs> he knew it would upset him. Yeah. I mean, those were... Another part of the details, which is why I want to have somebody with far more seniority than me, some far more appreciation than me. Charlie should come in and right on. tell some of the stories about the decision-making processes. And I mean, he'll, he's pretty, he'll, he'll tell you some pretty interesting stories. So, How's that sound? Th- this is great. I mean, uh, you know, it's, I've, I've said I'm done. By no, no, it's great. No, I'm going to go back to this just for a moment because these are all people that served in a similar capacity in a shop. And as you said, it was repairing, mm-hmm. um, you know, all kinds of ships and boats and aircraft and everything else. Right. So every one of these, these guys, I assume they're all men. Um, these guys all share a common experience and you're all in a Facebook group together. Yeah. So how did that start? I don't have any idea. So you just stumbled across it. And I got invited by a friend of mine to join the group. Okay. All right. And so I did. Yeah, I got accepted into it. See, this, you know, Facebook gets a lot of crap. But this is what makes Facebook really special. I mean, I, I value the postings on this group uh, more than I care to think about right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's awesome. So um, it's put me in touch with some people that I haven't been in touch with for thirty, forty years. Right, and you're probably meeting new guys. I don't know if I've ever told you this picture. I, I'm not going to mention his name. I, I don't know how sensitive he is about the picture. I'm going to describe the picture. I got a picture of him at a beach party. Okay, this is one of the guys on the list. This is one of the guys on the list. And that picture I've always kept as the epitome of 
the attitude of that shop when we were there. Oh, yeah. Please describe this. This sounds good. It's a picture of him with a hat on, bare-chested, at the beach, over a barbecue pit, flipping turkey or chicken. Uh-huh. Right? You can see him sitting there with... But what makes it different, this is obviously a Hawaiian beach, early 70s, all right? He's got the flippers, there's both hands, he's working hard, both hands. He's got a beer can suspended from his teeth. So he didn't have to reach for the beer can. It was in a fixture on his mouth. If he wanted a sip of beer, he just tilted his head back. <laughs> right. The pull top tab yeah. was wedged properly on his teeth to do that. It's just classic because he's sitting there with the chicken with a Coors can. People think that's not a big thing. He's got a Coors can. In the early 70s, you couldn't get Coors in Hawaii. Oh. All right. Coors had a very, very limited distribution. Yeah. So how did we end up with Coors in Hawaii? <laughs> the caliber of the shop. We had these big equipment that we had to ship to San Diego. So we had these very foam, thick foam wall protected carrying cases for this delicate electronic equipment that we shipped from Pearl Harbor to San Diego, installing a submarine that was about to depart. The case is empty in San Diego. We got to ship it back to Pearl, but there's nothing that what was belongs in the case mm-hmm. is in the submarine. Right. Clary signing the orders. Sinkpack Fleet. Right. Somebody has Sinkpack Fleet's name on a shipping label for some equipment cases coming out of San Diego going to Pearl Harbor. They're not going to open it. No way. It's where we got the course. Right on. <laughs> we this load is, these cases up with cores and ship them back to Pearl. This reminds me of like uh, that old TV show MASH, you know, where they would get really creative getting, you know, goods in. Yeah. They did a wheel and deal, and you know a guy who knows a guy, and they can sneak the shipment in. So it's yeah. the same kind of thing. I, I told you about the story when I got in trouble with Clary, right? No, I don't think so. <sighs> I was in Chinhei, Korea, in a bar, and very depressed because I was going to have to go back to the boat. Oh, you, you have told me. This is a good story, but tell it again. All right. So this is good. I'm telling everybody on this story. Yeah, that's just, uh, there's a crazy ending to it. <clears throat> so I we'd have to pull out of Chinhei and pull over to Busan the next morning. That that was the mission, but I had to be on the boat to do that because I had equipment on the boat. Yada yada yada. But I'd much rather spend it in the bar. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> All right. So I got to talking to this army pilot, and. Um, he flew the helicopter run between the two communities, between Busan and Chinhei. He says, I'll give you a ride. If I remember, these are two cities on the Outside opposite of a, coast. Of a peninsula. Yeah. A peninsula. It's just a small peninsula. It's a, they weren't going to go anywhere. We're out of stores. That submarine had no choice. It just 
could not pull into Boosh on that day because there was no room for it. Mm-hmm. We had to wait an additional 24 hours. Well, in the condition we were in, there was no place to go. <laughs> right. All right. So we pulled into um, Chinhe. So anyway, so I said, oh, that'd be really cool talking to this army pilot. He says, yeah. Uh, so the next morning, we're sobering up. We'd both been drinking. He got his mail packages and put them on the helicopter. He says, you have a copy of your orders? And I said, yeah, I always travel with a copy of my orders. Why? Well, just in case something bad happens, we've got a record of you being on board. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounded legit to me. Right. All right. That sounded like a reasonable thing. Mm-hmm. So I gave him a copy of my orders, knowing that I had others back on the boat. I could get them replaced with no problem. You know, so we flew over and we were in the bar. Boat comes in. Everything's fine. Incident's over is my mind. Right. But no, I was back in Pearl, been back for a while. And the uh, administration guy comes running into the shop. He says, Pete. Clary wants to see you. Uh, I said, what do you mean Clary wants to see you? He says, we got a message. You've got to go up to see Admiral Clary now. <laughs> He's the commander-in-chief of physically. You don't say no. I ran. Yeah, yeah. I left. I yeah. went to the barracks. I got dressed in my white uniform, dress whites, because you don't. Oh, yeah. Listed guy does not go see an admiral in casual clothes. Right. All right. And I'm sweating bullets anyway. So I got my dress whites, got up there, saw the lieutenant commander who was the adjutant for us. Commander. I mean, this guy's way up, but he's still the secretary for the admiral, right? He marches me in the office and Claire's at his desk. He's working on stuff. He made the announcement, Petty Officer Neal is here to see you as requested. He acknowledged it. I'm standing there shaking like a leaf. <laughs> I'm scared to death. I'm a third-class petty officer, way down the ranks. So finally he stops doing what he's doing. He puts it off to one side. He looks across the desk and he looks at me and he says, Petty Officer Neil, do you want to explain to me why I've got a bill for 50 gallons of helicopter fuel coming out of Korea? Hmm. I go, what? And it suddenly dawned on me, my orders to that Army pilot. He had charged the fuel for the damn helicopter Ah. to my orders that I had given him to cover me in case something happened. Right. That guy. (laughs) (laughs) I'd been had. Yeah, yeah. So I very carefully and very nervously explained to Admiral Clary the story just like I've told you on this podcast. Yeah. And how did he take it? Very well. He says, Petty Officer Neil, he says, I sign your orders so you can get the mission done. This was not getting the mission done. However, it got your mission done for that evening and you then completed a successful mission thereafter Mm -hmm. so there's no punishment just don't ever do that again okay 
dismissed. And off I went. I said, they just bailed out of there at a heartbeat. But that was my run, one run-in with Admiral Clary personally. Yeah, what, what could have – what's a worst-case scenario there? Oh, I could have gone to prison. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I miss Chip's movement. Hmm. You don't miss Chip's movement. I never told you that story. <laughs> Another friend of mine. He was in one of the houses of ill repute, <laughs> which had a back wall right up against the Navy base. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so come the following morning, they're getting under, his submarine is getting underway. Right? The last lines are being singled up. The brow that you cross to get onto the submarine. Mm-hmm. They're already attaching the lift points to lift it away. He comes running down the street in a full run because he'd been in the whorehouse all night. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> He's running down the pier, right? The brow is in the air. It's no longer on the submarine. It's no longer in the pier. It's up above. So he made a flying leap <laughs> for the submarine, <laughs> landed on the tank top sideways. Crewmaners around, they lift him up. <laughs> See, I was looking down from the top of the sail at him. And he goes, It's okay, sir. I'm on board now. We can go now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the last we saw of him. <laughs> he got busted. Uh, yeah, he got a little bit of trouble. Yeah. With that. He almost missed ship's movement. We can go now. I'm on board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pushing our job code to the extreme. So that's the greatest thing with, you know, you're, you have a lot of great stories, you know, being in the Navy, on submarines, traveling the world. Um, you know, you shared a lot about how, how you know, you we, we had the conversation about a sacrifice. You had to make decisions, tough choices. And, and then, you know, ultimately you had to make the choice to transition your career. Right. You know, so you could start a family. Yep. Yep. And <laughs> I've got it all worked out here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm figuring it out because one of the things my current partner that we're working with right now with the medical application, mm-hmm. and as I told you earlier privately, my goal is to save somebody's life. Yeah. I've now been at that for that length of that blue line. I've been working on this project to save somebody's life for something that long. About like 10 or 12 years or something like yeah. that? Yeah. about Actually, it's about 17 years. Okay. There's the nine years I spent in the Navy. Those nine years are very valuable years. Notice they came way before this. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now if I hadn't done what I did then. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I got you there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a cascading thing. It's fascinating to see. Sit back. Now I understand what retired people do. <laughs> I got a bunch of information to extract out of that timeline. Yeah. Well, this is fine. This looks to me almost like um, like a project planning software, you know, like the way you kind of have it all laid out and diagrammed. Well, the other thing is that I've told you a few sea stories here. So the other thing I've got on my forecast now is to get them all into writing. Good for you. So uh, this is part of the plan here is to put all these things together because I'm not going to have just sea stories, SEA stories. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to have much longer series of stories. Right. S-E-E stories, things that I've seen in my life. Well, see, then once you're a published author, okay, then you can go on like the summer book tour and uh, (laughs) and go to all the different podcasts. I ain't going nowhere. (laughs) I ain't going nowhere. Well, they'll invite you on. They'll be do it just like we're doing here with Zoom. Okay. So uh, I have two requests out of this podcast. Yeah. That we have another one with Charlie. Okay. All right. We'll see if we can't get that set up because he will tell some amazing stories from his perspective, which is entirely different from mine. Yeah, I... Talking about guys running down a pier to catch a submarine that spent the night in the whorehouse. <laughs> talking about the guy who hired a helicopter so he could stay drinking all night. Right. Yeah. Different evolution. Yeah. His stories will be a little different. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I look forward to that. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Pete, for sharing. I always appreciate you on the podcast. You always have a lot to share, a lot of really good, valuable stories and and information. And we've well, had I, so many t- good discussions. I love the way that it relates to your desire for this podcast. I mean, every time I listen to one of your podcasts, there's always something there. Search for happiness, life, liberty, Mm -hmm. and the pursuit of happiness. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And we stayed away from Ukraine pretty well. (laughs) Yeah, we did. Well, just to reiterate on the life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, the one of the reasons that I try to really embrace that is I think that it that idea of what that really represents has been distorted. Yeah, it, it's it's like the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. We see like protesters waving American flags on the side of the street, but that's not what it really means. No. Um, I, and I'm in complete and total agreement with you on that. It just part of what I wanted to get across in this was the concept of sacrifice. Yeah. All right. This country is built on people who made sacrifices. But I'm seeing a lot of people who are not, they want everything. Everything's for them. There's Mm -hmm. no concept of sacrifice. So that's why I wanted to get on that show a little bit, because sacrifice is a part of it. Yeah. And I would say it a little differently. Go ahead. Um, and, and, you know, people, like I remember I said to me, a sacrifice is when you lose and someone wins. All right? Sacrifice. Is when you're taking a sword, um, you're, you're losing. I don't see it as a loss. See, that's the thing. That's, where, that's, the, that's my point, is that if, if you're ultimately winning as a result of it, then I don't think it's a sacrifice. Because the sacrifice is we have to give up something. Um, so w- when there are people, like you said, they want it all for me. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like they want to take, take, take. They want to win and make other people lose as a result. Mm-hmm. But to me, the right way to do it is to have win-win relationships with others where you're getting what you need to pursue your happiness. But you have to trade value for value. Now, some would say that's a sacrifice. You have to give up something to someone else to get what you want from them. Um, but uh, Good point to discuss. It is. It's a nuanced thing. 
But to my earlier enough, enough to motivate me to come and talk about it on the podcast. Oh yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll <laughs> continue this discussion. But what I what's really important to me in this in this podcast and in and embracing that the you know in my opinion the Declaration of Independence, the most powerful document ever written in the in the in, in the course of human civilization until that time, that people were no longer the subject of a king. They were no longer, you know, slaves, although those, they did exist then, but that's a tangent to the story, but they, that they were independent and individual that had their own inalienable rights, that they could pursue their happiness. And people came from all over the globe to America to do just that just like your parents did yeah. and just like my ancestors did and and they came here to embrace those ideals now sadly there's other parts of this where in that same preamble the declaration of independence it says all men are created equal but a lot of people struggle with the idea of equal rights yeah and we and and as a result some people have been thwarted in their be- ability to pursue happiness yep because they're oppressed because other people limit their ability and so i think the, the whole idea of life liberty pursuit happiness to me is a beautiful thing in the context of history in the context of politics in the context of personal self development um in the, in the perspective of from the point of view of philosophy, it's a very, very powerful idea that I think has been hijacked by some people in some political mo- movements that are all about liberty for me, but not for thee. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I'm sorry, a little bit of a soapbox there, but no, I, it's the same soapbox. Well, it's not the same soapbox. It's a similar soapbox to the one I stand on, which is, yeah, which I came in and yeah. talked about. And like, and like I said, I, I think we're saying the same thing, but we're just kind of seeing it from a different angle. Right. But it's the same core idea. Yeah. And I, and I think that's good. The other issue is let's let's talk about life, liberty, pursuit of happiness as that document was written. You're, you're fairly certain that was the first time that ever appeared. No, no. But I, I mean, the idea of that, the, those, the, the, that I, those ideas go back like to the Greeks mm-hmm. and they're rediscovered later by um, uh, Aquinas. Okay. And then they are further articulated prior to the beginning of America. But not as the formation of a government. Correct. Not in, that was the new thing because it it was probably America is probably the only nation, perhaps even to this day, that was founded on an idea yeah. rather than on a um, rather than on one group at war with another. You know, mm-hmm. it, it it was founded on an idea that sadly was poorly implemented because well, obviously there were people that didn't have those rights. Slaves, women, gays, yada, yada, yada. Uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of demarcations right. there that have gone unaddressed. All right. Mm-hmm. We're getting to them. We are. All right. Is that 
an error on our part? Yeah. No, but it's the, an oversight. Uh, the idea is right. Yeah. The, 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 the idea is correct. The f- implementation is flawed. And it's taken a long time to do it because of a lot of the whacked out crap in culture. Right. You know, where. 250 years. Yes. But we're getting there. We're coming up on 250 years. Yeah. Like in uh, four years. Yeah. Um, so we're getting better and then we have a lot more work to do. But I don't think we should ever lose sight that the idea is right. Do you remember the, the bicentennial? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember I had the quarters, the bicentennial quarters. And I was um, I was like in the fifth grade or sixth grade when that happened. But that was a big thing. Yeah. So hopefully the 250 mark will be a big thing, too. I was in Mystic Pizza. Hmm. In Connecticut. In Connecticut. I was in New London. I had two years left to go. Okay. In the military. Wendy came out, visited me, and we went and had pizza at Mystic Pizza. Oh, just like the movie. Yeah. Was it Julia Roberts? I think it was in that movie. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Another C story. There you go. I sat in Mystic Pizza. You think it's a great movie? They had great pizza. Okay, good. Well, that's <laughs> that's a that's a, a chapter or a, a segment of a chapter in your yeah. book. Yeah. Part of the C stories. All right. Well, uh, Pete, well, thanks. Okay. Leaving anything out? No. Okay, but we'll... we'll, I I think we're done for this particular topic, but I love watching your podcast because you keep touching on different aspects, and I I keep coming back. Sorry, Mike, you're going to have to come in and talk to him sometime because he does the same thing. We just build these things. i got to talk to John about this, (laughs) and he comes on. I'm a repeat. It's all good. All right. It's all good. Got to get that out on the air and yeah. get going. Well, good. Now, hopefully this episode, you know, some of the guys on that list will maybe enjoy hearing some of the discussion. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. All right on, Pete. Well, thanks. Cool. All right. Done. All right. All right, friends. We'll see you later. This is, um, what is it? Episode 271 of the John hey. Riley Project. No. No, I'm not doing A and B. Oh, you're not? They're oh, going to be okay. separate numbers. So okay. we did 270 a few hours ago, and then we just did 271. Each one is like over an hour. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, we have lots to say. All right. We'll see you later, right, friends. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor. Subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog, or get more information, please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.